Very good. Good morning, Gateway family. Good to see everybody on this wonderful, frigid morning. I'd like to welcome all of you watching us online. We're glad you're able to worship with us this morning. Just have a few announcements to get started this week, just to let you know what's going on in the life of our body. Just a constant reminder, we're back in our Wednesday night groove of meeting here with our Bible studies, our Wednesday night evening activities. Um, it's not too late to join the Bible studies. We have a men's, a women's. Our teenagers are going through the Ten Commandments. The kids have their stuff. So every Wednesday night at 6 o'clock over here in the gym building, uh, we just encourage you, if you have any questions about what Bible studies are offered, you can go to our website at gatewaybaptist.com under uh, the news and events and also the resource page, and it'll list everything out there on the different Bible studies that are being offered this session. Ladies, just as a reminder, if you can't make it to the Wednesday night study, Trish Butterfield is meeting here every Thursday. It's been a wonderful two groups the past two Thursdays. Every Thursday morning at 10 a.m. in the gym building, room two, and uh, participating with the same Bible study. So if you can't make it Wednesday night, you're able to come Thursday morning to enjoy that time together. Gentlemen, there's a day hike. Put on your calendars. Saturday, February 3rd. Uh, the guys will be headed up to Lake Martin to do a deadening alpine trail. Uh, this is for men and boys age 8 years old and up uh, due to the trail length and the cliffs and different things you'll be going on. Details and registration are on the website as well. And for youth parents, everyone in here has a teenager. Uh, this morning we handed out a flyer that has some information about our uh, D-Now weekend uh, called Amplify. It takes place at the end of February, February 23rd to the 25th. Uh, this year we're going to be having host homes. Uh, the extent of the entire schedule is on this flyer. Your kids can get it to you today. Uh, so we just wanted to put that out there in the beginning. It's $40 a child. Uh, there's a, if you need financial assistance, there's a way to register with that. If you need to help, all those details and registration are also on the website. Uh, but please, we encourage you to talk to your teenagers. We want them to be a part of this. It's a wonderful weekend of discipleship, of community building, relationship building. We'll be ha- it'll be held over here at Taylor Road Baptist. And it's just a wonderful weekend of these kids to get in the presence of the Lord and enjoy time with each other. So next, I'll have to call our Pastor Grady up to do new membership. Well, good morning, Gateway family. We get the joy of introducing several today. So I want to get us the benefits of the first. If you guys will come up here. We have one more couple that wanted to be standing up here with you guys today who are homesick. So we'll introduce them in a future week. But these are people who complete our membership process. It begins with a Discover Gateway meal at my house, a four-week membership class called Foundations. Then they meet with an elder one-on-one to share their testimonies and to get their questions answered. And so the Benefields and the First to finish that. And you as a congregation have already approved them as members, but we want to introduce them to you. So let's start down here first with Taylor and Allison Benefield. Allison grew up in Georgia, and Taylor, this is home for him. He grew up in Prattville most of his life. They've been married just a little over two years, so they're still newlyweds. They currently live in Millbrook with their two cats. Taylor is, if I can get the title right, an actuarial analyst. Is that right? at the Retirement Systems of Alabama, and Allison is a registered nurse at UAB in Birmingham, so she commutes back and forth with her job as a nurse. Allison enjoys woodworking, crafting, and home improvement projects, and Taylor enjoys fishing, golfing, and reading. And they said, we've been greatly encouraged within our few months at Gateway, and are so thankful the Lord led us here, and we're so thankful that God has brought you here also. Let's welcome the Benefields. Now, this is Dave and Becky first, and they're newlyweds of 47 years. So they have been married for 47 years together. They're originally from California, but they've been in Montgomery since 1989. 
They have two daughters and four grandchildren, and you know some of those because one of their daughters is Jennifer Habercorn back there. And so they're here with their family. Dave was an Air Force veteran, also a retired Air Force civilian. He served as an auditor for nearly 30 years with the Air Force. Becky has been a dedicated mother and homemaker working outside the home after their girls left the nest. Dave likes to play golf also. Hey, we got two golfers up here today. He likes to fix things. Hey, this is a common theme here today. And to spend time with family and friends. And also, Becky loves to read and volunteer. So, man, we got some common themes with you guys here this morning. And they said, coming to Gateway and being able to worship and serve the Lord alongside their daughter and son-in-law, Jennifer and Tom Habercorn, and their two granddaughters, Abigail and Hannah, has been one of their greatest joys. And it's so much fun to see you guys worshiping alongside and serving alongside your kids and grandkids. We want to welcome the first as well this morning. Thanks, guys. If you want to head back to your seats, we have others in the membership process that we'll be getting to introduce to you in the weeks and months to come. We'll be giving you more details soon about the upcoming Discover Gateway and Foundations class for later this spring. But we're thankful to welcome them and thankful all of you are here. All right, let's stand to prepare our hearts to worship the Lord in song. I read this to our teenagers this morning, and I just love this reminder. Let's hear what God says about himself. This is from Exodus chapter 34, verses 5 through 7. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with Moses there, and he proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Let's worship him this morning. Just the touch of my sin and wonder. 
built for me in glory. And I heard about the streets of gold beyond the crystal sea. And about the angels singing and that old redemption story. And some sweet day I'll sing up there the song of
my part in this I see go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you for that when we fell short, when sin and death entered the world, you made a way for us to be restored. And that way came only through the blood of Jesus. Where the first Adam fell short and disobeyed, the second Adam, Jesus, obeyed and succeeded in defeating death and sin and death. And Lord, just as we sing, this is all my hope and peace, nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my righteousness, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Lord, help us to look at that as our only hope in the world, in Christ. Lord, we're thankful for so many ministries that are part of this church. And today we pray for the Gateway College ministry. Lord, we're thankful for the leadership of Seth and Megan Rodebeck and Parker and Aaron Harris as they lead that ministry. We pray that you would grant them wisdom as they continue to come alongside these students. And Lord, we pray for the students to continue to grow in their faith, and especially as the new semester begins on their campuses, Lord, that they can be salt and light for you uh, to those who they in their classes uh, and those they encounter each and every day as they go to school. Lord, we're also thankful for the many ministries around Montgomery uh, that Gateway members are part of. Today, Lord, we pray for Lenny and Debbie Dixon and their ministry with Shepherd Staff as they help those in need uh, in our city here in Montgomery. Lord, we pray that they would not only provide physical needs, Lord, but ultimately point you to their, their ultimate need in Christ. So just be with them. Lord, we're thankful that we're in a a city and a state and a country that we can come and freely and openly worship you, Lord. We don't take that for granted. And today we just pray for our state and local leadership, Lord, specifically Governor Ivy and Mayor Reed here in Montgomery, Lord. We pray that though they have been elected, Lord, that they would realize that their ultimate authority comes from you, Lord, that they would turn to you, especially when they're 
uh, struggling with difficult decisions, Lord, in their leadership, Lord. And we pray that you would surround them with wise believers who can counsel them. And Lord, that ultimately they would turn to you as their, their source of um, power and authority, Lord. Lord, we're also thankful for uh, the missionaries who are faithfully sh- uh, spreading the gospel throughout the world to the ends of the earth, Lord. Today we pray for missionaries Jake and Ginger Goss of, who are serving in Lesotho, South Africa. And we pray for them as they minister the gospel to about 20 children in the village of Hamat, Hamusi. And we pray that those who are not saved, Lord, would come to a saving faith in Christ. And Lord, we pray for those who are already believers that they would grow in their faith and grow in their knowledge of you as they study your word. And, Lord, we pray that in turn they would reach their families with the gospel, Lord, and that that village would become a light in this dark world. Lord, we're thankful uh, for everything you've given us, Lord, and we're thankful for the offering uh, given today and online throughout the week. Lord, we know all that we have is ultimately from you, Lord, and we pray that we as a church would be faithful to the offerings given to us and would use that money wisely. And finally, Lord, we pray for our pastor, Pastor Grady, as he shares this morning. Lord, we are so thankful for his leadership, his diligent study of your word each and every week. And we pray that you would guide him as he comes this morning and preaches your word. And Lord, help us to have open minds and hearts to receive that. So Lord, we're just so thankful, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mr. Kids Worship. Get Mr. Rick this morning. Well, now that y'all have a little elbow room with the kids on their way out, if you'll find Genesis chapter 3 in your copy of God's Word, Genesis chapter 3 this morning. I'm going to ask you this morning as you find Genesis 3, do you ever get frustrated at your job or your place of employment? Do you ever find yourself hitting obstacles to those goals that seem insurmountable to you? Do you ever find yourself struggling to sleep at night with your mind racing of that problem at work, that challenge you have, that task that still needs to be done? If you're like me, do you ever find yourself feel like you took one step forward but two steps back by the end of that day? Or that your to-do list is never done, your inbox is never empty, there's always more to do than you seem to be able to do. But not just in your place of employment, how about your other types of work, your housework? Your yard work, your car repair, those home improvement projects, even your hobbies. Do you ever find yourself frustrated when you're doing those types of work? Maybe we should use the biblical term instead of frustration. Do you ever find yourself angry doing that type of work? Because the thing that you thought should be fun and easy is hard and difficult. That repair was not as simple as you thought it would be. The weeds you thought you got rid of from your garden are back. The problem is much harder than you anticipated. And what looked like a simple five-minute YouTube video to fix is taking you days And days and days. Now ask all that because we're in the middle of a section of Genesis chapter 3. We're seeing God's judgment on Adam and Eve's sin. And these verses are really important because these verses make sense of our struggles. And the verses we come today make sense of the struggles we have with work. Not just in terms of our place of employment, but the work we do around our house, around our yard, on our cars, on our technology. Any type of work we do in that sense of frustration we feel in our work. Genesis 3 helps us understand 
where that came from. Today we're going to read Genesis 3, verses 17 to 19 as we continue to look at God's judgment on sin. And as we read, I want you to look for three things today. These are going to be three questions that we're going to use to guide our study together this morning. First of all, what was Adam's sin? What was Adam's sin? God's going to make it really clear what, where Adam failed God's standard. What is God's punishment for Adam's sin? And God's going to be very direct. Like we saw last week, we'll see God's clear punishment for sin. But then number three, where is hope? Because when we look at the curses and the judgments here in Genesis 3, I think sometimes we miss the grace that is in them and the hope that is in them. So I want us to look for the hope today here in this text. So what was Adam's sin? What is the punishment for it? But friends, where is the hope? Genesis 3, verses 17 to 19. Can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God? I'm reading out the English Standard Version. We'll also have the words on the screen for you. Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 17. And to Adam he said... Because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your unchanging word. Thank you for how even in these texts here you show us so much of our experience, so much of our struggles, and it begins to help us make sense of the world we live in today. So pray as we study your word that your word would come alive to us, that your Holy Spirit would give us understanding of your revealed truth, and it would shape us and change us. That we would not just look at these things as nice historical facts that we know they're true, but these would be truths that would get into the depths of our heart and shape and change ourselves. Lord, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So again, three questions I want us to look at to unpack this text to try to understand it. First of all, what was Adam's sin? Let's start there with what was Adam's sin? Now we need to realize at the outset what God is doing here because God approaches Adam differently than he approached Eve. You think back to what we saw last week with Eve, God did not remind her of the specifics of her sin. He just told her the consequences. Go back to verse 16 that we saw last week. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. And pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. So God just went straight to here's the consequences for your sin. But for Adam, he doesn't start there. For Adam, he reminds Adam of his very specific sins. And he states two here. Look down at verse 17 again. And to Adam, he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. So with Adam, God begins by reminding him of his sins. There's two specific sins. Listen, listen here. Let's look at this. First of all, he said the first thing is you listen to the voice of your wife. I need to give some important clarifications on what this means and what this does not mean here. Okay, so men, if you go home and tell your wife, I don't have to listen to you, you have misunderstood this text and what this is all about. That is not what this means. Scripture is very clear. That's why we use Scripture to interpret Scripture. So it's just very clear about how husbands are to relate to their wives. For example, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. This is the verse husbands for you to own, not what we're looking this one phrase out of context. 1 Peter 3, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Now, in the Greek, that means with deep knowledge. So men, if you want to understand your wife with deep knowledge, you have to listen to her. You have to ask kind, gentle, loving questions to get to her heart on her hopes, her fears, her dreams, what she's concerned about, what's bothering her that day. You have to ask good questions and listen well to do that. You need to be showing honor to her as the weaker vessel. You need to remember that she's heirs with you with the grace of life. There's a lot to this text. We've studied it before, but I want to remind you at the outset, this is God's will for you, is to know your wife by listening well 
to her. Now, with that in view, what are we talking about here in Genesis 3? God is addressing a, a specific situation with Adam. And what's that situation? Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. If we go back to when the fall happened. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Now, we've heard this story many times. I think we almost imagine a quiet scene where Adam and Eve are not talking, right? You have suspenseful music in the background, and she takes the fruit. She looks at Adam, who looks at her in silence, passes, and he eats. That, that's not what happened. There's not suspenseful music in the background. They're not standing here in silence. That was not recorded for us. There's some conversation that is happening here between Adam and Eve. And so now when you go back to verse 17 of our text today, and to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife, He's saying here that Adam had failed to lead his wife well. He had failed to protect her in this situation. There was some conversation that Adam and Eve had where when Eve offered him the fruit and they talked about it, he did the wrong thing here. He failed to guard her from the enemy's lies. He failed to lead her well. He failed to love her well in this situation. So Adam's sin here is him abdicating his responsibility of sacrificial leadership for the good of his wife. He chose the easy path not the right path. So when it says you listen to the voice of your wife, it means he failed to lead her towards holiness. He instead just took the easy path and did whatever they were talking about doing there. So the first sin is his failure to sacrificially love and lead and protect and nurture and guard his wife. But there's a second sin that Adam, or that God points out to Adam here in verse 17 as well, and that is Adam ate the forbidden fruit. Adam ate the forbidden fruit. Remember the command was given directly to Adam back in Genesis 2, 16 and 17. If we go back to that, and the Lord God commanded the man, saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden. But then in verse 17, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. And so Adam had not forgotten this command. In fact, he only had one negative command to remember. Don't eat from that one tree. He had a perfect memory at the time. The fall hadn't happened. He wasn't forgetful like us. So Adam's not sitting there going, oh, I forgot what God told me to do. He had direct rebellion and direct defiance of what God has said. In fact, Paul brings us out in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14. This is an important verse for our text today. Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Now, what in the world does this mean? Well, it means that, Adam was or sorry, that Eve was deceived by Satan. That Satan lied to Eve, and she fell for his deceit. So it doesn't mean she's not guilty. She is still guilty. We saw that last week. She's still a transgressor, which is just another word for a sinner. And we saw last week God still judges her for her sin. But there's something different about Adam's sin. Paul says Adam was not deceived. Those aren't holding Adam up in a positive light. Those are indicting words right there for Adam. That means in the moment of temptation, Adam was not deceived. He clearly saw right and wrong. That means in that moment of temptation, Adam remembered what God had clearly commanded. And Adam shook his fist in God and said, Nope, I'm not doing it your way. I'm going to do what my wife and I are thinking about doing here. This is showing us that Adam had willful disregard for God's word. That Adam had willful rebellion against God's perfect plan. That Adam was not deceived. He knew what he was doing and he gladly and willingly chose the path of sin and unrighteousness. He gladly shook his fist at God and said, nope, I'm going to do it our own way. Now, friends, if we're honest, we are like Adam way too often. We have the clear teachings of Scripture. We have God's clear will for us of what it means to love God, 
what it means to love others, what God's will is for our speech and for our sexual purity, for so many issues of holiness in our life. And so often, we, like Adam, we choose the path of sin, not because we're deceived and confused, but because we know what is right and wrong in God's sight, and frankly, we don't care. And so we have texts like this to remind us of how God views sin, and we see God dealing firmly with Adam here. Go back to verse 17. He addresses Adam by name, and to Adam he said, he lists these two grievous sins, because you've listened to the voice of your wife, and you've eaten of the tree which I have commanded you. And notice through this, the word you is emphasized over and over. God says to Adam, you have listened to the voice of your wife, and you have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. God is pressing in to Adam, making sure Adam understands his sin. But notice something else here. Even the punishment that we're about to look at that God gives to Adam would make Adam come face to face with his direct rebellion, his defiance of God's will every single day. And what was the sin? He ate of the forbidden fruit. So what is the judgment he now faces? Hardship in getting food to eat. Notice the emphasis on eating all throughout this text. Back to verse 17. He said, I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Curses the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Verse 18. Thorn and thistles it will bring to you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. Verse 19, by the sweat of your face, you shall eat. Three times, you shall eat, you shall eat, you shall eat. But each time is tied to pain and thorns and sweat. Every time Adam now struggles to work to get food for himself and his family, it is a reminder of his willful rebellion against God and how he took the one thing God said not to do, and he shook his fist in God's face and said, nope, I'm going to do it anyway. God is saying to Adam, Adam, You ate what is forbidden. So now my judgment on you is I'm going to give you a daily reminder of your defiance against me and your rebellion. Now, friends, this is important because we need the reminders that God hates sin. I know in my own heart and probably yours too, we can deal so lightly with our own sin. We can justify our own sins in so many ways and lose a sense of the holiness of God and the seriousness with which our God views sin. Now, for those of you who were with us on Wednesday nights last semester when we studied the attributes of God, there's a quote I share from A.W. Tozer, but I want to remind you of it and share it with all of us this morning. Here's what A.W. Tozer says. He, He says, We see that the Holy One only allows holy beings into His presence. Yet in our humanistic day, our day of a watered down, sentimental Christianity that blows its nose loudly and makes God into a poor, weak, weeping old man, in this awful day, the sense of the holy is not upon the church. In this day, the sense of the holy is not upon the church. Friends, for Adam, the sense of holy was not upon him. He lost sight of the holiness of God, and he chose to do what he wanted to do, regardless of what God had said. And if we're honest, too often we are like Adam, where the sense of the holy is not upon us, and we know what God's clearly said, and frankly, we don't care. So God gives us texts like this to wake us up of how God views sin. So first question, what was Adam's sin? He failed to lovingly lead, protect, nurture, shepherd his wife, and he willfully, defiantly rebelled against God's clear command. So that was Adam's sin. So now God pursues Adam. He exposes his sin. He confronts Adam in his sin, and now he gives punishments for those sins. Our second question for the morning, what were the punishments for Adam's sin? What were the punishments for these offenses against God? Now, before we look at this, I want to remind us of two truths we saw last week, in case you were not here last week, or for all of us to remind us of these truths, because this is important to understand what's happening in the curses here. First of all, this is God himself speaking. Go back to the beginning of verse 17. And to Adam, he, he is Yahweh Elohim. This is the creator God, the covenant-keeping God. This is God speaking. 
This is not speaking, this is not Satan speaking a curse over Adam. This is not people speaking evil to Adam. This is God himself, the creator, the covenant-keeping God, who's speaking this over Adam. That means what follows is God's plan. It's his sovereign will. Even though we don't like it, this is what a sovereign, holy, righteous God chose to happen. Second part of this truth, these judgments affect us today. This is not just a nice historical thing that happened, Adam. This affects us. This explains why work is hard for us and why we struggle in the ways we struggle. I mentioned it last week, but Romans chapter 5, verse 12, friends. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. Friends, we are born guilty sinners. We have an inherited guilt. We have an inherited sin nature. No baby comes out of the womb as a righteous, upright person who's corrupted by their environment. The babies are born under the guilt and condemnation of God. That's why we need Christ's grace for us, because we are born sinners. We have an inherited guilt that we get because of what happened with Adam and Eve. So the curses affect all the generations that follow. This is God speaking. This is his will. And this affects every human now who has ever Live. So with that in view, what was Adam's punishment? Now, I want to give the same framework we gave last week on this. And remember the truth from last week? God's judgment on Adam and Eve's sin makes life's blessings now challenging. That's the same framework I want us to use this week like we used last week. We saw last week that because of sin, because of judgment, because of the curse, these things that were good blessings are still good blessings, but they're not easy anymore. They're now challenging. So we saw last week with Eve's, with the curse on Eve, that birthing children that is a blessing is now a challenge. That's why I almost passed out when my kids were born. I was not the one in labor. That's why raising children is a blessing, but it is a challenge. That's why parents have so many restless nights worried about their kids. For all who teach and disciple the next generation is a blessing, but it is a challenge as well. For marriage, it is a blessing, but it is a challenge. For all of our relationships, they're blessings, but they are challenges now. Why? Because because of sin, because of judgment, because of the curse, all life's blessings now become challenging. And that's what we're going to see in this text this morning with the judgments that come to Adam. And what is the blessing that is now challenging for Adam? It's his work. Work is now a blessing that is made challenging because of sin, judgments, and the curse. And friends, like having children or like being married, those are not the problems. Work is not the problem. Work is not a curse, though many people view it that way. Work itself is still a blessing and it is still good. Remember, work came before the fall. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. We see that work is pre-fall. It's a blessing. The Lord God took the man. This is a world of perfection. He put him in the garden to work it, to keep it. So work is good. Before sin, before judgment, before the curse, work was life-giving. Some of you may be thinking, I can't imagine that. But work was life-giving, and work was joyful, and work was fun, and work was easy, and work was worshipful, and you were just giddy and glad and happy all day as you got to work all day. That was life before the fall. But because of sin and judgment and the curse, that blessing of work is now challenging, and work is now hard, and work is challenging. And notice how it has changed. Now go back to verse 17 of our text. To Adam he said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat it all the days of your life. Now previously to eat, what did Adam have to do? Really nothing. Genesis chapter 2 verse 9. Do you remember how God made the garden? Out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. So 
Adam's in the midst of this garden where all around him were trees full of different types of food. And I can only imagine that maybe one of those trees had things that look like Chick-fil-A nuggets. But that's, I'll have a talk with the Lord one day about that. Genesis chapter 2, verse 16, that what did Adam have to do to do all this? Genesis 2, 16, the Lord God commanded the man, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden. It wasn't hard for Adam to eat. He just walked around and goes, oh, I want that. I want that. And he just picked it and gave some to Eve. Like work was easy. Tending those trees was easy. Literally everything Adam needed to sustain himself and his family was literally within his reach. But now it all changes. Back to verse 17. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Now to eat and to live, there's now pain. This word pain is the exact same words we saw in the curse on Eve. In verse 16, this is the word for painful toil. Adam will still get to work. Adam will still get to eat. And that's the grace of God. God doesn't take away work and doesn't take away eating. But now it comes through painful toil. It is now hard. And because it is so hard, God wants to make sure Adam Norris misses the reality of what changes. So look at verse 18, how God elaborates. Thorns and thistles shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. So again, God doesn't take away food. God doesn't take away the blessing of work, but now it is cursed. Now it is hard to do these things. There's thorns and thistles. Friends, these are new plants that we did not see back in Genesis 2 in the creation account. These were not there until now that judgment comes. We don't know exactly what these are, but my mind can only imagine things like kudzu and poison ivy and all those things that we get Kyle to get rid of on the church campus or in my own yard, right? These are things that were not there in the original creation that now choke out the good things, that choke out the food, things that Adam has to deal with that make getting food hard. And in fact, these thorns and thistles, these painful toil is so great. Look at verse 19, what it'll take for him to eat. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread. And Adam can still provide for himself and his family, but it's going to come with literal sweat, literal pain, literal hard work. Hence now, friends, to accomplish anything, whether in our employment or fixing our car, fixing our house, fixing our computer, trying to get the weeds out of our yard, it's all hard now. It's no longer easy. There's literal thorns and thistles for those who work in agriculture, and for whatever your job is, you have thorns and thistles of different types. It makes it have great toil and literal sweat for you to accomplish anything. What originally in creation was easy and a blessing now takes painful toil. So, so think about something here. I want to try to, I've been pondering this one this week. If Adam wanted to munch on a carrot before he went to sleep one night, what did he do? He picked up a carrot, rinsed it in the stream, ate it. It was effortless for him. If you want to eat a carrot, before you go to bed, what does it take for you to have that carrot? Now, my family and I love shows of how things are made. And so my little Timothy, who's three, he and I are particularly mesmerized by a show called Tractor Ted that shows you how farm things come to life. And there's a favorite episode he and I have watched over and over on where carrots come from. So if we want to have carrots today, for Adam and Eve, it was effortless. They picked it up, they rinsed it, and they ate it. But if I want to eat a carrot, what happens? Well, i got a picture for you. First of all, they have to till the soil. And because there's so many people who want carrots, right, they have, that's literally a carrot planting tractor. Yes, there's people who sweat and make this. There's special tractors that make carrots or plant carrots. So they plant carrots all over these fields now. It takes a lot of work to do it. But if the carrots start to grow, go to the next carrot slide here. Now there's bugs that eat the carrots, that rot the carrots. So what do I do? That is a herbicide carrot spraying tractor that's specifically designed to spray herbicide on the carrots to kill all of it and put chemicals on our food that we will now eat to try to keep those bugs from destroying our food. So they have these huge machines. People are out sweating in the fields, running these machines, fixing these machines that keep breaking to try to keep the bugs off the carrots so we can get them. 
They then have to harvest those carrots. Go to the next one. Yes, yeah, so they have special machines. They pick up the carrots and harvest them, put them in special trucks that drive them to factories. And the next one there, if you want that carrot, they now have hordes of people who work in factories, who inspect the carrots, who clean the carrots, who wash the carrots, who then package them. It takes all of that to then have them put on a truck, shipped to a store, hauled up the ramps of the store, put on a shelf for you to drive to it, to go buy it, to go get the carrot. There's literal work of hundreds of people for you to now have a carrot. There's little sweat, there's little toil, there's little hard work for you to get that carrot. And for parts of the world not mechanized like us, one more carrot slide. If you live in a more rural place, it's literal toil, literal pulling of the thorns and thistles, literal removing of the bugs, literal sweating in the fields to get it. Now, my point in that, friends, is to help us see the contrast. When Adam wanted a carrot before bed one night, he picked it up, he rinsed it, he ate it. It was effortless. But because of sin, the judgment, and the curse, we can still have carrots. We can still eat of those carrots. But it takes painful toil, hard work. It takes literal sweat. It takes dealing with thorns and thistles and bugs and lots of other challenges to be able to get that. And friends, for your job, whatever it is, you now have toil. You now have sweat. You now have challenges to overcome so that you can provide for your family. God says to Adam, back to verse 17, Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. You shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. This is the judgment on sin. The blessing of work, the blessing of provision is still there. But it is now hard. It is now challenging. And for the men in the room, there's an extra challenge that comes with sin and judgment and the curse. The reality of this curse on work makes your marriages hard too. Think about the reality. It's because work is hard, you have a God-given desire to work hard and conquer it. So you find yourself drawn to do your work. But what happens? Those challenges at work that you want to overcome draws your attention away from your wife that you're called to love. It draws your attention away from your kids that you are called to shepherd. And it consumes you. So even in the church, there are so many Christian men who neglect time with their wives, who neglect emotionally caring for their wives, who neglect spiritually shepherding their wives, who neglect loving and getting on the floor and playing with their kids. Why? Because they're so consumed with their work that is hard. And they keep thinking it'll just get better, it'll just get better. And it never does because now of the curse on work here. It makes your marriage hard. But one more part of this judgment we must not miss. How long will this reality last for us? This is the hard, sobering part. It's going to last our entire lives, friends. Two times in this text, God reminds Adam that this is a new normal in God's world here. Verse 17, the very end of it. And pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. And then in verse 19, by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. That this is the new normal for life. One of the authors I read this week said he saw a bumper sticker on a car that said, life is hard, then you die. And that's pretty much what we're told here. Life is going to be hard. The idea that life and work is going to be easy is not what the scriptures tell us life is like. Rather, God tells us that the new normal for life is painful toil, sweat, dealing with thorns and thistles. And even with all of our technology and inventions that are supposed to make our lives easier, those still break and we still have just as much pain, just as much thorns and thistles, just as much sweat as other generations. But I was pondering that something struck me this week I don't think I'd ever really considered. We labor for a few decades, right, hoping for a retirement, hoping for a little break before we go to see the Lord. But how long was this for Adam? How long would he deal with painful toil, thorns and thistles, 
and swept. Look at Genesis chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. We're told a little bit more about Adam. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years. Okay, so Seth came after the fall. So Adam lived a long time. He had other sons and daughters. And then verse 5, we're told, thus the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and then he died. Do you realize what that means? That at least 800 years or more, Adam had a daily reminder of his rebellion against God. For over 800 years, Adam had painful toil. He had the literal sweat of his face trying to provide for him and for Eve and for his sons and his kids' kids and the generations that came. He had 800 plus years of what we complain about a few decades about. Of pain, thorns and thistles and sweat. So we've seen that Adam sinned. He failed to lovingly lead and protect his wife. He had direct rebellion against God. We see the consequences on his sin that the blessing of work is now challenging what is for us centuries was, was literally, for decades for us was literally centuries for him. But one last question this morning, friends. Where's the hope? Where's the hope in all this? Why are we talking about a good God making life full of pain and thorns and thistles and sweat? Where is the hope here? If you remember last week, I told you that God gives us curses on these things to drive us to him. There's a grace in all this because God gives us these curses that affect all the generations so that we learn to run to him and to depend on him. Now, there's a lot of ways we could apply this truth of work to our lives. And I trust that the Holy Spirit will do that for each one of you. But there's a way that I keep going back to because perhaps it's my own struggle related to work and what I do here. This is the grace in this. I want to show you a truth for us this morning. God makes work challenging. So we realize our identity is not found in what we do, but rather in belonging to him now and forever. There's many graces in the fact that work is hard now. There's many graces in the fact that work is challenging and full of pain and thorns and thistles and sweat. But one of those for us, and this is the one that I needed to hear this week, and I trust there may be others that the Holy Spirit will apply to your life, but these hardships remind us our identity is not wrapped up in what we do. Rather, it is in belonging to God. This truth can free us from the lie that we can find our identity and our contentment and our successes at work. That's why so many, particularly men, try to find their identity in their work and they neglect God-given tasks of their wives and their kids or serving in the church or evangelizing the lost because they're so consumed with finding their identity and what they do. But God in His grace makes our work hard and even futile at times to remind us this is not what life is all about. Friends, if we try to find our identity in our work, we will always be frustrated. Look at what the author of Ecclesiastes says in Ecclesiastes 2, verses 10 and 11. He says, Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept from my heart no pleasure, for, all, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And friends, if you're like me, there's a lot of us in the room that that's probably true of us. Our hearts find so much pleasure in the hard work that we do in our jobs or our hobbies or whatever it may be. So this was my reward for all my toil. But look at what the author comes to in verse 11. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil that I expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Friends, by God's design in this life, your work is always going to be frustrating. But that is a grace to free you from finding your identity in what you do. Friends, your work will not save you no matter how successful you are in your jobs. Your work will never fill the void of your heart, no matter how many 70 and 80 hour weeks you put in to accomplish it. Only God can rescue you. Only God can satisfy you. So God makes work hard now so you realize the futility that you will never be satisfied in these things. You can only be satisfied 
in him. But friends, this truth about the hardship of work also points us in God's grace to eternity. Because this hope, because the hardships of work point us to the day when work will not be hard anymore. Friends, if you belong to God, your work is not going to end in eternity. We have this false idea that when we get to heaven, we're going to be angels floating around on clouds and strumming harps. And that's not at all the picture of scripture of what it's going to be. When we get to heaven and when we have the new heavens and the new earth, the reward for a life lived to the glory of God here is not freedom from work. It's not permanent retirement. It's more work. Matthew 25, verse 21. This is Jesus' parable of the talents. And for the people who did what the master had done, look at what he said. His master said to them, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Friends, when we work hard in this life unto the Lord for the glory of the Lord, the reward in eternity is not we get to now sit down and rest for the next trillion years. The reward is even more work. But the difference is that work will be different. Romans chapter 8, verses 18 to 21. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Verse 19. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Why? Verse 20. For the creation was subjected. This is what we've been looking at in Genesis 3 this morning. The creation was subjected to futility. This, is the, this was the ground being cursed, the pain, the thorns, the thistles, all the hardships. The creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. Remember, this is God speaking. This is God's will for what was to happen. But look at what he says now in hope, and then verse 21, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption, obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. The curse on the ground will be reversed, but not during this earthly life. The day is coming when there's a new heavens and a new earth and the curse goes away. There'll be no more cursed ground, no more thorns and thistles, no more painful toll, no more sweat of the brow to accomplish things for God's purposes. The futility and the hardships of work in this life is to point us to when we will work eternally without pain, without thorns and thistles. The day is coming we get to enjoy God's presence forever, not sitting by on a stump just staring into space, but working the new heavens and the new earth without pain, and without trials. Revelation 21 gives us a little glimpse of this in Revelation 21, 3 and 4. I heard a voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Verse 4, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Notice this, Neither thou shall be mourning, nor crying, nor pain. No more of the toil of this life. No more of the sweat of the brow and the thorn system. The pain will be gone away. Why? For the former things have passed away. So friends, let's bring all that back together. God's judgment on Adam and Eve's sin means life blessings are now challenges, particularly the blessing of work. But the grace here for us is God makes work challenging so that we realize our identity is not found in what we do, but in belonging to him now and forever. So I want to ask you this morning as we close, friends, what is your view of work? When you think back to my opening question, what is your view of work? Whatever you do, you're, whether it's at home or in a place of employment, whether it's fixing your car or working in your yard, your work is hard. What is your view of work? Do you expect it to be easy and pain-free? I think a lot in our culture do, but that denies the reality of the curse. We will be angry and frustrated every day if we somehow expect our work in this life is going to be easy. Or do you go to the other extreme and see work is the curse or the problem? And many people do, but that denies the goodness of work as being pre-fall and denies the goodness of work that we will have eternally. Friends, or do you see work as a challenging blessing? 
One that God has set before you to drive you to work hard unto him. To one that drives you to think about eternity. And one that drives you to depend on the Lord for the strength and the wisdom and the hope to work hard unto him. Friends, what is your view of work? God makes work challenging in this life. So that we realize our identity is not found in what we do, but rather in belonging to him. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. And we're thankful even for the harder text that causes us to come to face to face with the brokenness of this life and the hardships that we face every day. So Lord, I pray today that you would help us fix our eyes on the hope we have in you. You'd help us fix our eyes on eternity and long for that day when we see you face to face. Long for that day when we will be in your presence forever and ever. And long for that day when we will be able to continue to work for you, but to do so when there's no painful toil, no sweat of the brow, no thorns and thistles. So Lord, in the meantime, would you help us find our strength our joy, our wisdom, and our identity in Christ. And as we face whatever toils we will face this week, Lord, I pray we would do so with joy, knowing this life is not all that there is. So would you take your word and use it in my heart and the heart of these precious brothers and sisters to be molding us and shaping us into the people you desire for us to be. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we close thinking about the gospel of Christ that frees us to think about eternity? Come with trumpet sound. 
Now, before I pray for us, if you just take a minute with the Lord right now, we've just sung that all our hope is in Him and all of our peace is in Him. And if we're honest, a lot of us, we may not be able to say that with integrity. We find our hope in our jobs and our boss liking us. We find hope in our accomplishments or our to-do list being checked off, hope or peace. And feel like we succeeded in our task that week. But we've just sung that's not what our hope is to be in. Our hope is to be found in Christ alone. So you just take just a minute. And ask the Lord to show you, are there ways you're putting your hope in things beside Him? And if so, take a moment and confess that to Him. Father, those words we just sung are glorious truths. And yet, Lord, we confess our hearts are so often far from what we've just proclaimed. And so often we find our peace in when circumstances go well and when people like us and the boss is happy. We find our hope when our checklists are done or hope when we've accomplished whatever success goals we had. And Lord, we're looking in the wrong places to find hope and peace. So would you forgive us for the ways even this week we've looked for hope and peace in the fleeting things of our jobs or the fleeting things of this world instead of in you. Lord, we know the only way we can live out what we've just sung of our hope being only in you and our peace only being in you is for your transforming grace to come and to fix our eyes on you and to fix our eyes on eternity. So God, we come to you as a needy people right now, seeing our sins, seeing our shortcomings and saying, Lord, help. Help us be a people this week who live out the reality that our hope is in you and our peace in you because your Holy Spirit has gotten a hold of our hearts and that you are the one holding us and sustaining us and you are the one who is transforming us. So Lord, I pray for myself and these brothers and sisters that you would give us that grace upon grace upon grace we need this week every single day to fix our eyes on Christ and to find our hope and our peace and in you and not in the things of the world. Would you do that in each one of us, Lord, so that we find joy, but ultimately, Lord, so that you are glorified by life, transformed by your power. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, Gateway family. Have a great Sunday afternoon.